<laughs> well, howdy. How is everyone this morning? Are you glad to be here? Hopefully so. We hope that everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving, got to spend some time with family and friends, and also had some good food along the way. I know personally, my stomach is already rumbling this morning. It's already growling, right? I did have breakfast, but just because I ate so much during Thanksgiving and it's leftovers, my stomach is stretched out to the size of Carlsbad Caverns. So my body is ready to keep on partying, right? But I know I need to stop. So pray for my self-control that I'll actually eat in moderation for lunch and also eat something halfway decent, not leftover pie. But speaking of being filled up, I suppose I'm just going to share all my weaknesses and vices with everyone this morning. Who in here is like me, and it seems like your vehicle is perpetually running on empty whenever it comes to gas? Anybody in here always running on empty gas-wise? I know that in my, Skylar, I see you. I know in my pickup, it's not just that it's running at a quarter tank, but the light's already on. And not only that, I'm pressing to try to find the fuel range, and it's not even giving me the fuel range anymore, it just says fuel level low. You know you're in danger at that moment. So what type of person do you have to be? Because I only live about 500 yards from where I work here from the church. So I'm thinking, okay, I can go the rest of the week still on empty, not even knowing the range. It's a brave game that I play, and it's not that I have like insufficient funds or anything. My, my wife works really hard and earns us a lot of money, right? So I can go to Toot and Totem. I can fill up the pickup. It'll all be fine. But the truth is also, it's the same way with the mower here. It's the church that I mow the south side of the property, south side, what's up? Joey takes care of the north side. And whenever I go to check on the mower, not only is both tanks on the mower on empty, I go to get the gas can, and the gas can is always empty also. So I'm like, well, this is great. And that's even more distressing, if you will, that I want to go and fill up, right? Because Pastor Shane gave me this magic card. He told me that it's limitless, right? Especially whenever it comes to gas, I can go and fill up the gas can, fill up the mower at all to be fine. But for some reason, I still insist on running on empty. And the thing that we're going to ponder today as we bring our eyes to Scripture is how oftentimes I believe and I fear the truth about our lives is that we run on empty spiritually. The past few weeks, we have been looking at the riches of what God has provided for us in Christ. That we've just been looking heavy on doctrine, what Christ has done for us, and because of what he's done for us, that we are loved, we are justified, we are forgiven, we are accepted, we are welcomed into his presence. Can I get an amen this morning? All of these wonderful ways that he has provided for us, and yes, most of us have accepted Christ, right? That we have accepted him as Lord and Savior, that we've repented of our sins and we have accepted the fact that by his sacrifice we can be forgiven by faith in Jesus Christ. But oftentimes it's a one-time decision and we forget that we can come to God daily and be filled up with his provision. That there's daily bread that we can come and receive whenever we come to him. That we don't have to be living a life on empty all the time. We can live a life filled up. I know as we turn our eyes to 1 Thessalonians 5, if you're not there, go ahead and turn to 1 Thessalonians 5. We see this first part of the scripture. 1 Thessalonians was written by Paul, and it speaks of the day of the Lord. 
Now, the day of the Lord that is being spoken about is a day that has yet to come. We all know that Jesus came into flesh. We know the story of the gospel, that he came, he took on this body, he lived a perfect, sinless life, and that he gave his life as a ransom for many, that he would be crucified, buried, yet he would rise again in victory over the grave. All the good news of receiving the gospel. Yet Paul is talking about a day of the Lord that is yet to come. A day that we look forward to excitedly if we have accepted Christ. And in the latter half of First Thessalonians, Paul goes on to give some final remarks, if you will, and he's talking about this, for those who have accepted Christ, those who have believed in him and come to him by faith, how are we to live out the time in between until he returns again to judge the living and the dead, to bring those who belong to him that way that they can spend eternity with him? Because it's the proverbial fourth quarter, if you don't know, the minutes are winding down. And whether we are taken up to be with the Lord, or he returns and gathers us to himself, we're in the final minutes. And the question we should be asking is, how are we to live out those moments, those minutes that are left, whatever days are given to us in the remainder of our lives? And we're going to see through Scripture, in one sentence summary, if you will, that we are to live out God's will filled up with his Spirit. That we're going to see through Scripture, we should be living out His will filled up with His Spirit. And I'm going to pick up in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16. And if you wouldn't mind, would you stand with me this morning as we read the Word? Verse 16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So y'all are probably wondering a couple things. Well, wait a second, Lance. We usually read at least a couple paragraphs of Scripture, and you're right, but some of y'all are even more sharp than that, and y'all are paying attention to what the Scripture has said, and you're like, wait a second, Lance. Are you about to give a sermon about being happy, pray constantly, and give thanks always. And before you check out, I mean, the answer is yes. This is our scripture for this morning. But the question that I would beg to ask of you, if we're told that this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, and these are the fundamentals that we should be living out obediently before God, how are you doing? Are you rejoicing always? Are you praying continually? Are you giving thanks in all circumstances? The fundamentals are important. Over Thanksgiving, I was in Clovis spending time with family. I spent time with my family, also spent time with my wife's family, my in-laws. And on Friday, I was playing catch with my brother-in-law. And my brother-in-law is in from California with his wife. He's a former high school quarterback. And he's also a Marine currently. The guy is jacked and he's strong. You can just look back there and see him as everyone turns towards Gabe. But the guy can throw a football, needs to say. And we're playing football. We're playing catch with each other. We're about 20 yards away from each other. And at one point, Gabe says, all right, Lance, I'm going to rip it. Which that was code for him as saying, I'm about to chunk this football as hard as I can at you. You better catch it. 
So I'm like, all right, bet. I'm going to try and catch it to the best of my ability. And sure enough, he loads up and he throws it. He gets some mustard on the ball. And here is Lance ready to catch the football. And some of y'all already know what's about to happen seeing my hands. I'd forgot the fundamentals that I had been taught since I was five years old. And rather making the diamond to catch the ball, my hands were spread out like this. And this ball, traveling at the speed of light, grazes past my index finger and thumb and makes full contact on the left side of my face. And this ball was Tom Brady-esque. If you know, you know. It's not even inflated properly. So rather than just making impact, it like slaps my face. All the while, my wife is on the side going, fundamentals. No, just kidding. She was actually a sweetheart. She went and got me a bag of frozen veggies, and I was milking it for all it was worth. But we see the importance of fundamentals, and we look at the reality. If these are the fundamentals that God has given us to walk out in obedience, how are we doing? What do our lives look like as we are striving to walk with Christ and be filled up with him? Mark Twain famously said, It ain't the parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. You see, it's the things that he understood, that he knew that he was called to obey, yet he saw the gap, the disparity, in between what he was called to do and where he was at now in his life. There's things we're called to obey, and there's fundamentals we need to get down. And Satan would love to take us out of the game and being effective for God's kingdom however he can. He can't steal our salvation. He can't steal that you belong to God. But what he can do is that he can steal your joy. He can steal your intimacy with God. He can steal your spiritual vitality and take you out of the game whenever we should be advancing God's kingdom. So we look at verse 16, which says, rejoice always. Most of us know the definition of rejoice. Rejoice means jubilant, to shout, to be merry, or to be glad. And we ask ourselves, what should we be rejoicing about? And first and foremost, from Scripture, we should be rejoicing in God. Rejoicing in God is who he is. In his eternal character and his eternal attributes, and his faithful, steadfast love that he has loved us with. We should also be rejoicing in him. Thus, we shouldn't rejoice in temporary circumstances, but we should rejoice on the firm foundation, knowing that we have a Father in heaven who is in control of all things, who is all-powerful, and who is all-loving. And as I looked at this word through Scripture and how it's used in the New Testament, rejoice, there was two that had really stuck out to me. If we look at Luke chapter 10, we find Jesus has his 72 disciples gathered to him. So it was a large group of disciples, and he gives them some marching orders for the day. He says, all right, your command for today is to preach and to heal. And he sends them out, he commissions them, and it's a great day of ministry. Y'all, like, one probably that's never seen the likes of it, that they're preaching and they're healing and there's fruit for the kingdom. And there's even an added bonus because they are casting out demons in Jesus' name is what we find. And of course, these disciples are rejoicing. They're glad. They're joyful whenever they come back to Jesus for the daily recap. And they're telling him here in verse Let's see here, Luke 10, verse 18, 17, excuse me. Lord, even the demons 
or subject to us in your name. And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. At this point, they were already super hyped, right? And they were already rejoicing. And then Jesus says this, and they're like, you did? Seriously? That's awesome. Like, that's cool. And Jesus goes on to say, behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. And at this point, you got to think they're really smug. They're like, that's right. You know, giving us authority. Look at what we have done. But in Luke 10, 20, Jesus says this, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That Jesus changes their focus from anything that they've been doing, anything that's going on in their circumstances, any work that they've done. And he says, no, rejoice in what God has already done. Rejoice in the work that God has done for you. And what a beautiful reminder for us to think, looking back at the cross, looking at what Christ has done for all of us, that we can rejoice in that finished work. We can rejoice in that work that can never perish or never be taken away. And that could be a firm foundation for our rejoicing. And once more, the past few weeks, we heard, I am loved in Christ. I am chosen in Christ. I am forgiven in Christ. I am secure in Christ. Last week, we talked about being thankful in Christ. And we know that there's this feeling of contentment, of being content that's rooted in joy whenever we're reminded of what he has done. We live from a deep well who is Jesus Yet we see that rejoicing isn't just meant to be a feeling, right? A cute, cuddly hug that we get to walk around with. But rejoicing actually has an action tied to it. True rejoicing and knowing what Christ has done for us is going to bring out a response in us. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 6. Rejoice in the Lord always. Everyone say always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We find this response of rejoicing that takes place and that results in expressing confidence in the Lord. It's a beautiful exercise in Philippians 4.4 to replace rejoice with express confidence, which would read like this, express confidence in the Lord always. Whenever we realize we can trust him and he's a firm foundation that we can stand on, then there's no reason for us to not express confidence in him and to walk in confidence in him. One of the most difficult truths of my life that I learned through college, that God has worked tremendously and I'm grateful for that, but I learned that others aren't impressed by your prince of peace when you live in constant turmoil and anxiety. I'm going to say that one more time. Others aren't impressed by your prince of peace whenever you live in a storm of constant turmoil and anxiety. And in my prayer for you, and I know God's will for you would be this, that may the reality of his love that never leaves and his loving presence that will never forsake you reap a rejoiceful response from your life. 
And we know that second word. Everyone say always. I did some Greek work on this word, right? Because I have some cool tools that I've been gifted with, logos and different things. And I looked at the Greek meaning for always, and I was shocked, completely blown away that the word means always. Always means always. And we know how difficult and how challenging it is, how unthinkable, inconceivable would it be to rejoice always. Because we think about those days, they're the absolute antithesis, if you will, of rejoicing. It's the day that you would wake up late and you would forget your lunch and that you would miss the school bus. So you'd be late to school and you take the math tests and you failed it even though you studied for it actually for once in your life. And of course, you didn't bring your lunch, so you have to eat whatever they give you in the school cafeteria. You're standing at the curb waiting for the school bus to go home after this horrible, awful, no good day. And you get splashed by the mud puddle by a car driving by and you get home and your puppy dog got ran over and you get grounded because you failed your math test and your girlfriend broke up with you over text message. So that's nice. Those terrible good-for-nothing days, but the biblical command wouldn't change to rejoice always. But the reality of your life and my life is that there's even deeper things that would seem contrary in the enemy against rejoicing. How about getting the, the diagnosis that you never want to hear? Or the news that you would dread out of anything else in your life, that's the news that you receive. All of the things that happen in our lives that would be the enemy of rejoicing. But if we keep on reading and look into verse 17, there's help nearby. Even whenever we don't feel like rejoicing, we can go to God in prayer. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. Just think about this question. Let it sink in. What if God's people truly prayed? What would it look like if his people prayed? We look at David, and David thought some jacked up stuff every now and then. I'm not talking about this David. This David might also as well. We're talking about King David in Scripture, and we find that the circumstances and the things that happened in his life he was very much so human. But yet we still see the truth doesn't change that David was a man after God's own heart. And we find that David was a man of prayer. Over half the book of Psalms is songs written to God and heartfelt prayers from David reaching out to God. And we live in this binary world, this, this dichotomy, if you will, where it feels like we only have two choices. If there's something unsettling, there's something disgruntling in our lives, there's something awry, well, it's either A, I can stifle it, I can just kind of bottle it up inside and hope that it goes away or it will come to pass, or B, we can just spew it out all over the place. It's, we're going to treat it like a burp or a fart. Well, it's better out than in, so there's like grumbling, complaining, and everything else happens as we just unleash it. But perhaps we forget not only a third way, but the best way, our SOS, if you will, our first step, our first move would be going to God in prayer. God, I don't feel like rejoicing. God, there's this happening in my life. God, here is what is happening, knowing that you can lay it before him at his feet, and he cares for you. You can cast your cares on him, and he 
is faithful. He will never leave you or forsake you. And he's the one who can actually do something about it. Amen? To go to him in prayer. And oftentimes we think that grumbling and complaining in our lives is harmless. It's innocent. That grumbling and complaining doesn't actually have any impact on us or anyone around us or even our relationship with God. But I would beg you to look back at the book of Numbers. Ask the children of Israel how grumbling and complaining went for them. That grumbling and complaining can steal your intimacy with God so quickly. It can zap your spiritual vitality in an instant, in a moment. So we would be earnestly prodded to go to him in prayer, to connect to the power. Verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances. This is a quote that we had gone through and read through with a youth group a couple weeks back. In a study on gratitude and appreciation, participants who felt grateful showed a reduction in the level of cortisol, the stress hormone. They had stronger cardiac functioning and were more resilient to emotional setbacks and negative experiences. And we're just thinking, wow, that's a, that's a big breakthrough, right? Wait a second. God's word has told us that for thousands of years. And in layman's terms, what that is ultimately telling us is those who practice thankfulness or gratefulness had less stress, less anxiety, less depression, and ultimately were more happy or more joyful. And who would want that for your life? Anybody in here in that situation that you'd want less stress, less anxiety, less depression? Anybody, anybody, any takers? Anybody, anybody, anybody? That would be awesome, wouldn't it? That would be wonderful. And it's so simple. God's will is so simple that he has set out before us so we could walk in this by just expressing gratitude, and not just openly, not just like anything and everything, expressing gratitude to things, but going to the source, thanking God for what he does continually, for being with you always, with his provision and presence. And there's an important distinction to make in this scripture, give thanks in all circumstances. Paul was not teaching that we should thank God for everything that happens to us, but in everything that happens to us. Did you see the small word switch? Not thank God for everything, but thank God in everything. Evil does not come from God, so we should not thank him for it. But when evil strikes, we can still be thankful for God's presence and for the good that he will, not that he can, but that he will accomplish through distress. How powerful is that? You look at the life of Joseph in Scripture. Joseph's brothers sold him off into slavery. Joseph ended up in Egypt as a slave. He was wrongfully imprisoned for years for something he did not do. Yet through all of this, Joseph continually gave thanks and everything. And it's not like he was psycho or anything, or that he was disillusioned or disconnected from reality. It's not that he gave God thanks for everything, for him. It's like, God, thank you that I am here in slavery. God, thank you that I am wrongfully imprisoned. But he gave thanks to God in everything, knowing that he could put his trust in God and his character, that God would see him through it. And that not God could, but God would bring something good out of this circumstance. 
Romans 8, 28, for we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. The question we're asked is, do you trust God enough to wait patiently for him to bring good out of bad situations? Do you trust him? Do you know that he's in control? This really strikes deep. If your praise isn't intentional, it will become absent. If your praise and your thanks isn't intentional, it will become absent in your life. The back half of verse 18. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. How often do we ask ourselves a question? God, or God this question. God, what is your will for my life? Anybody ever been there, done that? Pray that's even maybe a continual thing that it's like we're wanting to know what is tomorrow or what lies ahead in the future. I think perhaps if you were to look up most searched Google questions, that'd have to be up there. What is the will for my life? What is God's will for my life? And what if it was so simple yet so powerful that God knows our flimsy frame that we can't borrow information to know what happens tomorrow or the day after that or the week after that, but God's will for your life is for today. And God's will could be so simple of rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, and giving thanks in all circumstances. This isn't to say that we're not planners, but in the unknown and ever push comes to shove, what really matters is today, in this moment. Are you living out God's will for your life? Are you obeying him? Are you drawing near to him? So here's the invitation for this morning. Come and be filled. Be filled with him. Be filled with his spirit. Perhaps you're here this morning and you have never made a decision for Christ. Perhaps you're here and you've never accepted the gospel. You haven't accepted this idea that what Christ has done can forgive my sins, that if I repent of my sins and I earnestly trust him and accept that he took my place, the punishment that I deserve, and by faith, I'll receive him, that I can be filled, that I need a hero in my story. I need a savior in my story. Would you come to him this morning? Would you be filled? For those of us that have made that decision and want to earnestly live alongside him and want God's will for our life, would you continually be filled with him? Would you come to this realization that it's not like a one-time insurance policy that we pray and make this decision, but God meant for us to live a life filled up with his spirits. Then we can live out his will for our lives. Would you come and be filled? Would you allow yourself to continually be filled with his presence? And in so doing the fundamentals of rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks, so simple, you could unlock something so powerful for your life. Because there's a tyranny that comes with not praying, not rejoicing, and not giving thanks. Especially as Christians, for those of us who have tasted and seen God's goodness, that we have received the gospel and know what Jesus has done for us, that it's unthinkable and it's abnormal to live a life on empty, to live a life not filled up with him. Think about that, that 
a Christian that's not filled up with his spirits and not living out his will would perhaps be the most miserable person on planet Earth because we've tasted and we've seen, we know his goodness and that he has designed and meant for us to be filled and live life and walk with him, with his spirit. You don't have to wither. You don't have to die in the wilderness. Life doesn't have to be this way because you can come to him. And you can focus on this relationship right here that's more important than anything else, this vertical relationship with you and God. If you're being filled with him and you're walking out in obedience the way that you can be filled with him and his spirit, I'll tell you what, the landscape around you horizontally, your relationships with other people will change and transform. And perhaps your circumstances don't magically change, but your perspective on your circumstances drastically change. Your priorities drastically change, and you begin to see God's hands work in and through situations and circumstances all around you. As we close, I just want to leave you with a vision of what this could look like for us living a life filled up with his spirit. There was a missionary named John G. Patton in the 19th century who went to the New Hebrides. They were some islands filled with cannibals. So these natives, they called, they called these natives savages just the way that they lived because obviously they ate one another and they were constantly at war with tribal lands if their wives and their children were not of use to them or they would not work or obey them, they would just kill them. They would just slaughter them. And there was just absolutely no order to their lives. No compassion, no care, no love for neighbor and tens if not hundreds of false gods that they worshiped, gods of fertility, gods of rain, you name it, they were worshiping and had these idols. And John G. Patton came to these islands as a missionary seeking to show them the love of Christ, to share the gospel with them, not even knowing their language. And John G. Patton was faithful to live out and walk these fundamentals. Even whenever he had nothing else, he stayed steadfast and obedient. That although his wife died of an illness not long after being on the island, he still rejoiced. Even whenever the natives would tear down the home that he lived in and he'd have to build a new one, he still rejoiced. Even whenever he was at the tip of the spear and the natives were ready to take his life because they had had it with this white man from Europe, he still rejoiced. Whenever he was on the doorstep of death himself because of illnesses, he still rejoiced. He prayed throughout all these circumstances. He even continually prayed for these savages, these natives that were living, even though they had reviled him. Even in the moments where they felt like there was no hope and his mission was just worthless and he would never see any sorts of progress, he still rejoiced and prayed. And he gave thanks to God in all circumstances. In years of living this way, there was a native who came to Christ. There were two natives that came to Christ. There were a few natives that came to Christ. The fruit actually began to be seen. And now to this day, because in part of John G. Patton's faithfulness and what God used him for, over 90% of those islands now know Jesus. They no longer eat each other. 
They no longer stay at constant war. And it's amazing how God has transformed this people group. And then we turn our eyes to our situations. I don't know what's happening in your life, but I would probably go out on a limb to say that I don't think cannibals are trying to eat you. I don't think that you're often at spear points being about to be killed. So many things in our lives, and you look at our circumstances, what if we walked out the fundamentals just as John G. Patton did? What if we were just obedient to God's will for us today in Christ Jesus and rejoiced even whenever it was hard, if we prayed even whenever it was hard, and we gave thanks whenever it was hard? Think about the difficult people in our lives. I know that there's people in your life that it's hard to show them patience, that they just test your patience down to the very last ounce. But to show them patience, just as First Thessalonians 5 exhorts us to do earlier in the scripture. Be patient with all. Strengthen the weak. If we lived out these fundamentals in God's will, it's amazing, incredible what God could do in us as we live a life filled up. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this morning. Lord, and we thank you for how you have richly provided for us in Jesus. God, the road that you have set before us, that we would walk out your purpose for our lives if we're just willing, if we'll receive what you have for us and be filled with your spirit. God, I just pray that you would strengthen us and give us the boldness and the courage to be obedient to your commands, God, that you have lavishly poured out your love to us. God, if we would just stay close to you and abide in you, you would take us on an incredible journey where we could see magnificent, wonderful works and your glory displayed through our lives. God, help us to not just come to church, but to be the church, to learn what it means to live a life filled up with your spirit, with your presence. God, convict us where conviction is needed to prod us and direct us in how you would have us change our lives, Lord, and, and move in a different direction and take a step in obedience to you, God, our hearts are open, and we want to yield how you wish to will and work in our lives. Lord, we're thankful for all that you have done and for all that you will do. Lord, we love you, and we praise you. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.